0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Hey, Goose, Valentine's week. Uh, what do you get
2: me and Ron for Valentine's Day?
1: Well, I'm going to get Ron a couple tickets for the Lowell Providence College Hockey game this weekend. Ron and his son Jack love hockey, and college hockey is one of the best values on campus. And if Dartmouth's playing at home this weekend, I'll get you tickets too.
2: Nah, I'd love to go. Too sick. Can't make Great it. Sport. You know what Goose? Hmm. Yeah, it is good. Um, I thought I'd give you that Tom Brady jersey I picked out of the garbage can of Super Bowl 52. <laughs> so that, you guys in Dallas la- remember what do the Super Bowl? Super Bowl.
1: Was that last year's Super Bowl? <laughs> was that the missing jersey? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it's the one you threw in the kid garbage can this year. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to Valentine's Week, or Mardi Gras Week, or... Westminster Kennel Club Week. Uh, Hey, Goose, it's Pitchers and Catchers Week. That's a big deal. I love that. Um, But it's all that on the Talk of Fame Network, and we have a very special guest on today who just might send the Gooseman a Valentine's card because he did. I'm talking about Rick, but no other Hall of Fame voter has, and that's get Jerry Kramer into the Pro Football Hall of Fame after 45 years and on his 11th shot as a finalist. Yeah, Clark I,
1: I couldn't be happier for Kramer and his family. you know th- this was really beyond his eleventh time in the room. This was going to be his final time in the room. You know, right. it's rare we bring back senior candidates a second time. but we thought his candidacy was strong enough to merit it. But I doubt we'd have brought him back a third time. this This was it for Jerry Kramer. And now he's got that gold jacket.
2: Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm with you. And, you know, of all the guys we admitted, I, I think this one resonated the most. Because, I mean, there were so many people, so many Packers fans that didn't understand why I wasn't in. And, and I don't blame him. I mean, he was the only member of the 50th anniversary team now in the hall. And guess what? That team was voted on by, yeah, Hall of Fame voters.
1: Yeah, and the point is none of us on the current committee were around in the 1970s and 1980s when Jerry Kramer was being passed over time and time yeah. and time again. So, you know, we don't know what went on in that room during those discussions. But I do know that the same committee voted Kramer the greatest guard in the NFL's first half century. And I think that really resonated with the voters.
2: Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, we're also going to hear today from Detroit's Mike O'Hara, former Hall of Fame voter, and Atlanta's D. Orlando Ledbetter, who's a current Hall of Fame voter, as we continue our best of the rest series with the best players from the Atlanta Falcons not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we're going to have Ira Miller on, too, to talk about seniors. Anyway, we've got a lot coming up, so let's get to it. And we will right after this. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well,
2: the Olympics are going on, I guess you know that, in hallelujah, because usually this time of year, I'm watching the Montreal Canadiens at night, uh, goosing up this year. Uh-uh, no. Yeah, well, they're the Giants, the New York Giants in the NHL, um... And that team, I'm talking about the Giants, promise so much, but they haven't done anything this year, and the Canadians haven't either. They just have produced nothing but heartache. and um, So I don't watch them. I watch the Olympics. You watching, Goose? Yeah,
1: off and on. You know, I watch a lot of the figure skating and snowboarding over the weekend, but my yeah. t- TV time kind of slows down as we get into the week. I do want to watch some hockey, though, and I'm glad the NHL is no longer involved. You know, I like the fact we have players in Korea who look at the Olympics as possibly the highlight of their careers. Right. Yet I doubt many NHLers consider an Olympic gold on a greater, a greater achievement than the Stanley Cup.
2: Uh, I'm glad the NHL is involved either, Goose, because there'd be no... Canadians, the Olympics, <laughs> man, they stink. Man, are they bad? You can't put the biscuit in the basket. Um, well, you know, in, t- in terms of the Olympics, um, I-, I will admit, I mean, I-, I love watching the snowboarding events. I mean, I skied some when I was a kid, but uh, snowboarding is sort of foreign to me. But I like it mostly because uh, I'd never do it, and I don't know anyone who does it. I, I really don't. Um, but my question to you, Goose, is when I watch these guys, I think, um, listen, if you're over the age of 15, are, are you no longer allowed to do this? Because I've never seen so many competitors, like in that half pipe, so many competitors the look is that look as if they should be my daughter's seventh grade class.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's X Games invited to Korea. You know, it's, yeah, it's catering right. to the youth element uh, of the television audience. And make no mistake about it, this is as much or more a TV event as it is an Olympic event. And my only question for you is, so you haven't taken a snowboard off the roof of your house yet? What
2: are <laughs> no, you waiting for? We don't, we, we don't have any snow here anymore. In fact, <laughs> it's going to be up to close to, I think, 60 on Thursday. I nice. mean, this is unreal. Anyway. Um, but uh, the other thing about the Olympics that I, I, I find uh, interesting, um, a little bit troubling, is the, the, the designation of the athletes from Russia. I mean, that's a country. When I think of Russia, I think of, like, the Larry Bortsoffer, um, Valerie Bumel, Olga Corbett, even uh, Evgeny Plushenko. Um, but they now operate under the anagram OAR, or Olympic Athletes from Russia. And I looked at that, and went, OAR, oh, what, what is, oh, okay. Um, but maybe we should do that with uh, the Cleveland Browns in the, NFL, in the NFL. You could just start calling them football athletes from Cleveland. Especially, Goose, because when you wonder what went wrong with the latest game, you can always run a FAC check on them, <laughs> a fact check. <laughs>
1: Hey, I'm not sure about you, but I would pay, a see, see a, pay to see a team from Cleveland that featured LeBron James, Corey Kluber, yeah. and Joe yeah. Thompson. I'm not sure what sport they'd play, yeah. but you are talking about the players at the very top of their profession in their respective sports.
2: Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Well, speaking of that, um, which NFL player do you think would be best suited to do, uh, let's say, mm, like a double toe loop or a triple axle in figure of skating?
1: Easy. Someone who can defy gravity, and that would be Odell Beckham Jr.
2: Yeah, I thought the same thing. You know, when, you, when uh, I mentioned that, I thought, oh, how about OBJ? Uh, then, of course, you'd have to fire fire do to find a fire hard to pee on. <laughs> That's um, right. Well, um, anyway, the Olympics coming nightly to a TV near you. Uh, it's good. I, I enjoy it. Um, the big news the past week, uh, other than Mike Pereira's comments on our weekly podcast, of course, was the new contract for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, he signed a five-year deal, contract extension, I think it was $137.5 million, that not only makes him the highest-paid player in the NFL, but guarantees him $90 million the first three years. $90 million. So, Goose, riddle me this. You're a historian. He started seven games. That's one less than Tom Brady has Super Bowls. Yet he gets a contract that pays him almost twice as much as the best quarterback in football the last 50 years. Look, I mean, I understand it's a speculative deal based on the future. I get that. But you're backing up the brinks for someone with seven career starts?
1: Well, put in perspective. Tom Brady makes more than one start than John Unitas made in a season. And John Unitas made more than one start than Sammy Ball made in a season. It's not about ability. It's about timing. You know, Matthew Stafford hit the market at the right time in 2017. He was highest paid quarterback. Right. You know, Garoppolo hit the market at the right time in 2018. You know, now timing is going to reward Kirk Cousins this offseason. You know, Brady's problem, he's 40, not 30.
2: Yeah, well, since you mentioned Brady, I mean, you know how much I like him, and I do. Um, But one of the things I've always liked is, it it seems like he's seldom, if ever, involved in a contract dispute or squabble. I mean, the the deal's done quietly, he makes no noise, and in the end, you know, he makes less than Jimmy Garoppolo, yet he goes to Super Bowls where other quarterbacks who may get more money, and you mentioned Matt Stafford, I'll mention Matt Stafford, they never do. And, And contrary to what Lane Johnson said last week, that was a great comment. Brady has fun doing it. I'd say eight times more fun, in fact, more than most people.
1: Bottom line, Tom Brady is already set for life. He's set for life on his endorsement income alone. He's set Mm -hmm. for life on his wife's income alone. I don't think Tom Brady's playing at the age of 40 for the money, which is why his contracts aren't drama scripts.
2: Right, right. Um, It's sort of a relief, too, honestly, uh, to 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 hear nothing about that. Um, Well, the Garoppolo contract, let's go back to that. What does it mean going forward for someone like, say, Aaron Rodgers or Kirk Cousins, even Drew Brees. I mean, I saw somebody the other day say, Marcus Mariota's next contract is going to be record-breaking. Marcus Mariota. So, I mean, Goose, why stop there? How about Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, what's this mean for these guys going forward?
1: Well, that's exactly right. You know, Matthew Stafford set the bar a year ago, then Garoppolo set the bar, and then Kirk Cousins is going to set the bar, and then Aaron Rodgers is going to really set the bar. That All bar right. is going to move higher every year. It's, it's about ability. It's not about ability. It's about timing.
2: Yeah, it's always about stepping up to the bar about 2 in the morning, right, Goose? Um, Well, I'll show you how far this has gone. You mentioned Unitas. I'll look this up. In 1956, John Unitas signed a one-year deal with the Colts for $7,000. But he wouldn't get a dime unless he made the team. And then he'd get $437 for each of the 12 weeks he was on that team, Baltimore Colts, with the remaining $1,750 paid at the end of the season if he was still on the team. Clark, I'd say that
1: was a pretty good deal for the Colts, and that's what the market bore, so that's what the market paid.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty good deal for the Colts, pretty good deal for the NFL, too. Um, God, it's just amazing, though, how far we've come and how far that position has come in a relatively short period of time. Anyway, that's the sound that we've got the Goose Man coming up. Yes, with a state your case, and he wrote about, I mentioned the Colts. A guy that I covered to the Baltimore Colts when I first got on the beat, a Senator Ray Donaldson who went on to play with other teams, including the Dallas Cowboys. He wrote about him this week in our State Your Case segment on TalkOfFameNetwork.com. And Goose, you think he's Hall of Fame worthy? You want to tell us why?
1: Yeah, well, first off, I'm, I'm surprised you're that old. You covered him? Oh, I didn't realize <laughs> yeah, that. I did. <laughs> I okay, did, Sen- 1982. Sen- Sen- <laughs> okay, Senator Kevin Malway was a Hall of Fame finalist for the class of 2018 for a second consecutive year, but was passed over for a second consecutive year. He was a first-team all-decade center for the 2000s, and every first-team center from the 1920 decade on already hasn't been enshrined in Canton. So it's just a matter of time before Maui gets his bust. But every year he doesn't move up in a queue is another year center Ray Donaldson loses in his candidacy. Candidates have a 20-year window of modern-era eligibility, and Donaldson has already burned 17 of those years. So time is running out on a trailblazer at his position. He became the 32nd overall selection of the 1980 draft by your Baltimore Colts. At that time, he was, that was the highest an NFL team had ever selected an African American center. Then he became only the second African American to start in the NFL at center in 1981. Only Larry Terry, who started with the Lions in 78 79, preceded Donaldson into an NFL lineup. But over the next 16 seasons, Donaldson performed among the elite at his position. He blocked for an NFL rushing champ, a couple of them, in fact, Eric Dickerson and Emmitt Smith. He blocked for an AFC rushing champion Chris Warren, and also an 1,100-yard season by Curtis Dickey. Donaldson went to six Pro Bowls, including each of his final two seasons in 1995 and 1996 with the Cowboys. His final Pro Bowl came at the age of 38, when he was on a blocking front that allowed legal 19 sacks, and he won his first Super Bowl at the age of 37. But there was so much losing before, uh, uh, before that at Indianapolis in Seattle that doomed Donaldson to a lower profile and now seems to have damaged his candidacy. His team's posted a 76-139 record during that 14-year stretch before he arrived in Dallas. And we know one thing, Clark, the Hall of Fame still actually loves winners. Does Ray Donaldson belong in the Hall of Fame? The jury obviously is still out. But when you play 17th season... Start 228 games, go to six Pro Bowls, walk for two NFL Russian champions, and win a Super Bowl. You certainly deserve to have your career discussed and debated to determine where your game fits in a historical context. But time is running out on that chance for Donaldson to have that discussion.
2: Quickly, Goose, Ray Donaldson or Jeff Saturday? He's another Colts center.
1: Uh, More games, more Pro Bowls, more Russian champions. I'll go with Donaldson.
2: Okay. That's going to do it. I mentioned Matt Stafford. Well, we're going to have his Boswell right, it's Boswell, former Hall of Famer Mike O'Hara. The Detroit Lions join us right after this. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the
0: Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Gosland, and Ron Borges. I
2: don't know whether you realize it or not, but only four NFL franchises have never reached the Super Bowl. It's never. That's Cleveland. Detroit, Houston, and Jacksonville. So we thought we'd get a glimpse of what it's like not being there. So our next guest, former Hall of Fame voter Mike O'Hara, has been with the Lions, the Detroit Lions, nearly every painful step of the way during these last 52 years. Now Mike started covering the Lions in 1977, good friend of ours, and he has seen only three division titles and one playoff victory in his 40 seasons on the beat. And Mike sounds like you and Sisyphus have a lot in common.
3: <laughs> well, not gonna be, you know, I, I'll say my rocks are curling, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> hey,
1: Mike, you've covered nine head coaches in your NFL writing career. The Lions just gave you a tenth coach this month, former Patriots defense coordinator Matt Patricia. So what do you see from Patricia that leads you to believe he will have a different fate from the likes of Darrell Rogers and Monty Clark and Wayne Fonts and Jim Caldwell?
3: Well, Daryl Rogers was in over his head from the beginning. So, just the fact that, you know, Matt Patricia has been in the league and, you know, in a winning organization, you know, he's miles ahead of him and the likes of Steve Mariucci and Marty Morningwig and some others. You know, I had a sit down with him. Uh, Tim Twentyman and I had, it was supposed to be 15 minutes. It turned into 50 in his office last Thursday morning. And I will tell you, he's very bright. He's very direct. He's a, just a guy, a guy coaching football. And he's got a lot of different interests. You know, he's a Star Wars fan. Uh, we spent about twenty minutes talking about boxing because he was—I think he was a security guard or something—at the Boxing Hall of Fame in Canistoga, New York, which is near where he's from. I found him very in- engaging and also a great uh, recollection for detail. And I'll tell this really quickly, but we're talking about the running game and versatility and all that. And he said, and he said. They once went up to Minnesota on a Monday night when the Vikings had the number one run defense in the league, and they spread them out and beat them, I think it was 31-7. to 7. So I went back and checked, and in fact, it was 2006, week state, Monday night in Minnesota, ranked number one against the run, 61 yards a game. And they did, in fact, pass for 340 or 50 yards, four touchdowns. But 85 yards on 15 carries, too. So, you know, to remember something that happened, you know, like 12 years ago like that is to me was pretty remarkable that he had all the details down. Either that or he used it in his interview to get the job.
2: <laughs> well, he should be a good talker. He spent all those years with the Patriots. Didn't have anything to say. <laughs> he couldn't he <laughs> well, say anything.
3: He's got an awful lot of personality. He really doesn't. Yeah, from, what right. from what I've heard, just talking to his sister, Uh, the people he's interviewed for assistant coaching jobs he knows their jobs too so we'll see
2: well you you knew he was going to be the next head coach at lions mike you you knew that was going to happen and you knew it before the super bowl so i'm wondering this you're watching the super bowl as the eagles are going up and down the field on matt patrice's defense with a backup quarterback what were you thinking are are you going that way (laughs) I sure hope he's not bringing that defense with him. I'm glad he's leaving those Blairs back in New England. What are you thinking?
3: Well, I've seen that defense before here in Detroit, so it's uh, not something I haven't seen before. But I thought it's unfortunate, unfortunate timing for his defense to lay an egg the way it did uh, pretty much that game. Couldn't tackle, you know, uh, had some guys who had a chance. You know, I looked at scheme-wise and all that, third down and seven or eight or something like that. John Battamosi, he played here in Detroit. Got him lined up to make the tackle, get off the field, and whiff twice on one play. Right. So, you know, sometimes players are at fault, too. I've always said that, you know, this happened a lot when Wayne Fonts was the head coach. here. He took all the flack, yeah, but the players acted like they were victims who bought a, you know, a ticket on a plane and it crashed and they had nothing to do with it. Well, no, they're, they're accountable, too. But, like I said, unfortunate. You'd like to, you know, first of all, from the Patriots' standpoint, they want to win the Super Bowl. But from the Detroit Lions' standpoint at that moment in time, you'd like to see them come in off of, you know, a 31-3 to shutout or something like that, or I guess 31-3, to period.
1: Yeah, Mike, the history of assistant coaches leaving the Bill Belichick staff is not a good one. Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cornell Eric Mangini, Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien, you know, there aren't a whole lot of championship rings post-Tom Brady between them. So should history be a concern with this hire?
3: I think it's a concern any time you hire somebody who hasn't done that job. You know, look, guys move up the up the ranks in coaching. And it's one thing, for example, to coach three quarter, be in the quarterback room with three guys, and then you move up to uh, coach the offense, and it's 23 guys. Then you move up to coach the entire team, and it's 46 on game day, 53 on the roster, and another 10 or 15 or an injured reserve in the practice squad, all of a sudden you've got to sell yourself to seventy guys. And believe me, if you have any ticks or any go-to phrases or any mannerisms, in 10 minutes the players will pick you apart and they'll start doing, you know, their imitations of you uh, behind your back. I mean, good and bad and indifferent. And I didn't see any of that from Patricia either when I talked to him with Tim Twentyman or in his presser uh, last Wednesday at, at, at the team's headquarters in Allen Park. He looked like a person who would look you in the eye and make his uh, and, and, and get across what he wanted to get across. I've seen too many guys who just who cannot talk to the room. Uh, Marty Mortimer was like that. He laid a bomb, laid an egg the day he showed up, and he hatched it immediately and it never grew up, never got rid of it. Uh, Patricia, I don't see that in him coming in, but once again, we'll see how it goes over time.
2: So he's not going to jump on his motorcycle during one of those first practices and write off like Marty Morning. did? And he
3: had that scripted. I mean, my gosh, Or the bar is high and all yeah. of that yeah. stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah that's no. bad. Um, hey, Mike, I, I noticed that uh, he retained offensive coordinator Jim Bob Cooter. Is, is that a good move or a bad one in your estimation?
3: Well, it's what I would have done. And I know that uh, Matthew Stafford made a pitch for him. Uh, some people think that well, that he makes it comfortable for Stafford. No, it's not a comfort that he takes care of him or he's easy on him. It's that, as Stafford said, they see football the same way. I like Carol Austin as a defensive coordinator, but I thought they had way more problems defensively they did than they did on offense last year. They had one glaring need last year on offense, and that was a running back. They have three or four glaring needs defensively, I thought, and most of them are up front in the pass rush and uh, and depth linebacker. And I thought that had to be fixed. I would have I would have done the same thing with Cooter. And that's one of the things I asked him by the way and, and just in our private session. He said Cooter was you know, he said that he self scouted the Detroit Lions before he took the job. He's talking I'm talking about Patricia, what he did, and called people who'd been here and he called Jim Bob Cooter, in fact. And and in cross, you know, referencing and, you know, cross talk or whatever you want to call it, he got great reviews of Jim Bob Cooter. And so, why make a change? I also think he's I'm not sure if this has been announced yet or not, but I think Joe Marciano is back as the special teams coordinator. You know, the Lions were second in Rick Goslin's overall special teams rankings in 2016, and they were sixth this year, 2017. So, you know, why make a change there? I think the Lions are sort of on to something offensively. It's It's, it's been working pretty good under Matthew Stafford, and if they, you know, clean up a couple of things up front on the offensive line. And, 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 and the running game, it should be even better. Because you're looking at a guy who's in the top five in every metric in pro football. Yeah.
1: Mike, the Lions last won an NFL title in 1957. 60 years is a long time to go between championships. Is there anything to this Bobby Lane curse?
3: Interesting, because I did a thing you know, with Stafford once for, I think it was the NFL today or something, four or five years, and, and finally the, the last thing the interviewer asked me was, I believe in the curse. And I said, well, they haven't won. So I don't know if it's a curse or not. But, I, you know, I've talked to Joe Schmidt about that. And Joe, and you guys know Joe Schmidt, you know, one of the absolutely all-time great players and great people, smart. Even at the only, I think he's a little bit older than I am, even at our advanced age, he's still sharp as a tech. He has never heard Bobby Lane, the curse from Bobby Lane. But is it a curse? No, I think it's maybe some bad personnel decisions Maybe some bad coaching decisions, maybe some bad luck and and whatever, but no, I don't believe in the curse.
1: Do you believe in the curse of Tobin wrote? <laughs> the curse of the road who
3: won the championship. Hey, look, the Lions won three, four championships before the New England Patriots ever won a Super Bowl. So, uh, things that happened uh, pre-Super Bowl don't seem to count in the National Football League. <laughs>
2: How about the curse of Jim Donowski? Oh, Mill Plum. How about the curse of Greg. Wait a minute, hold.
3: Jim, Jim Nantzky went to the same high school I did, Pershing High, uh, and All right. I was right. in with Mil, And I was in, in the army with Mill Plum's cousin, Steve Plum. So,
2: uh, I got Mill Plum's autograph when I was a kid. I love Mill Plum. That was a great name. I loved to watch him play. Hey, um, hey! Well, ac- I asked you. He
3: was Go ahead. Go
2: no. Go ahead. No, go ahead.
3: Oh, no, he was sort of the Sam Bradford of his day in terms of accuracy and getting rid of the ball, but uh, but uh, just didn't really have it for the long run.
2: Yeah, right. Um, I want to go back to. I, I asked you earlier about Jim Bob Cooter. Um, I want to ask you about his prized pupil, and that's Matt Stafford. You mentioned him. Yep. Can he be? Can he be a championship quarterback? I mean, he, he you know he makes a lot of money, puts up some num- nice numbers, but doesn't win a lot of games. I mean, can he be a championship quarterback?
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, I look, here's a kid, and he's 23 years old, his first playoff game in the 2011 season, and they score on their first drive, and he throws a touchdown pass to Will Heller, the tight end, who I think he's got nine career catches or something like that. I've never seen him, look, I've seen him have bad games. You know, of course, people have bad games, but I've never seen him fold in the pressure. I really just haven't seen it. Any things happen, obviously they happen. But like the Dallas game, what three years ago, 2014, I don't put that one on the quarterback. I put that on the defense, putting up, putting, you know, giving up scoring drives late in the game. So and a, and a 10-yard punt by the punter, you know, a shankopotamus at exactly the wrong time.
1: <laughs> okay, Mike. Any truthy rumor? The Lions going to use all seven draft picks on running backs?
3: <laughs> if they have to. I tell you what, there's about as much likelihood of that as there was a bonehead column written in the Detroit Free Press that the Lions should trade Stafford for for Tom Brady. What How about that? Well, that I was—I think that was the day after the Super Bowl. The column in the Detroit Free Press, and I look—I don't rip writers. That's—it's a tough enough gig without people like me. <laughs> well.
2: Hey, Mike O'Hara, thanks so much for the time, and good luck with those Warriors in basketball. I'm not talking about Golden State. I'm talking about Wayne State, the Wayne State.
3: Well, to me, they're the Tartars, and we've already qualified, as I'm sure both of you guys know. And I'll I'll get tickets for you for the Great Lakes Intercollegiate Athletic Conference Tournament. And then (laughs) on to the Final Four. We're just going to skip the preliminaries.
2: (laughs) You got it. We'll be there. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) That was Mike O'Hara. Up next, it's a guy Mike saw a lot of when he was a kid. That's Hall of Famer Jerry Kramer. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SV Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back
2: to the Talk of Fame Network. Our next guest might have been the happiest guy in Minneapolis on Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, even happier. The Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles. And that's Hall of Famer. That's a great sound. Hall of Famer, Jerry Kramer. Now, Nick Foles waited 60 minutes to win a Super Bowl, right? But Jerry Kramer waited 50 (laughs) years to get in the can. 50 years. He made the biggest block in NFL history and was voted the best guard in the first half century of the NFL. But for some reason, he was never admitted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was a 10-time finalist, including once as a senior before he finally was elected in his 11th trip to the finals as an enshrinee in the class of 2018 and jerry first of all congratulations it's not only about time you know what it's way past time
4: you know i kind of feel that way too but i'm awful happy to be there now it's uh it's a wonderful experience and it was worth the wait i often uh was frustrated, angry, gave up on it a couple times, and decided that um, it just wasn't for me. That it just wasn't going to happen. And so when it finally did, it was awfully sweet, and uh, it's been a wonderful experience so far.
1: Jerry, 50 years and 10 trips the finals makes for a very long wait. Was there ever a time when you said, I'm done, I quit, it's not going to happen?
4: Uh, not more than a couple hundred. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I, I did, absolutely. I got fourth, after the fourth, the nomination there. And especially after the 10th. We had a big party on the 10th. That was our first time as a senior. Mm-hmm. And we went to New Orleans and we rented K. Paul's restaurant, Dick Shap did, and we had a whole vast, wonderful group of folks there. The restaurant was closed. Gary Hart, um... Uh, Senator Senator Hart and uh, half a dozen people, like, uh, I can't think of them right now, but they came knocking on the door and allowed them in uh, to our party. But we had shirts printed, and we were really uh, celebrating because we knew it was going to happen. And, of course, it didn't happen. So uh, nothing really can prepare you for... Uh, ten failures, except other failures. It a it, no it relationship to success. So I had the clue, you know, what to do the 11th time. It certainly wasn't overconfident. Certainly didn't feel like, yeah, this is a slam dunk. So uh, when it happened, it was a, you know, a special thrill and a very
2: big thrill. And uh, a lot of warmth and happiness flooded the body and everything was forgiven. Well, as you know better than anyone else, really... The hall makes phone calls to the finalists who don't gain enshrinement. You know that, but there's a knock on the door for those who are elected. Now, as I said, you probably know that better than anyone else. But you become a veteran of so many of those phone calls. Can you take us through the anxiety that day of, of waiting for the knock and then finally, finally getting it?
4: Well, this was really the first time I'd gone through that process. I they normally just we have read about it in the paper or something Uh, i have never had this before but they wanted us to be in our rooms between three and four in the afternoon and the word was if we were selected that mr baker the chairman of the pro football hall of fame would come knocking on the door and let you know that you had made it and if you didn't make it somebody else like Maybe the janitor would come and tell you to get your stuff together and get the hell out of there. <laughs> so we weren't sure who the other fellow was, but that was the, the way it was set up. So I see in a presentation by Rick Goslin, just a bit of it. I didn't really get to see it all. I just I got a glance of it and knew who it was. And so that was fairly early in the morning. So I said, well, logically, they'll finish with the seniors first. And they'll notify us first in the afternoon. So if it's like three ten or three fifteen or something close to three, then we got a pretty good chance. If it's a quarter to four, may not look so hot. So I was all up and down, up and down, and counting the counting the minutes. You know, just ultimately the hours, the minutes, the fractions of minutes till something might happen. So I'm counting down from three o'clock to three fifteen to three twenty three twenty five, three thirty, three thirty one and there's a knock on the door. And everybody in the room I got six kids and they go and they're hollering and cheering and yipping and I got eight or ten friends and everybody's just, just squealing and carrying on. And we go open the door and it's the maid. <laughs> And she's standing there like a deer in a headlight, right? She doesn't know what to do. And <laughs> certainly doesn't know what's going on. She's never had this kind of reception when she knocked on the door before. So uh, we that passed, and we got back to waiting, and it was, you know, 325, 330, 340, 345. Now, and I'm going downhill every minute or every 30 seconds every three seconds that I think about it very frequently. So I'm about to the point where I'm thinking, no, it's not going to happen. It's not for me. It's not my time. It's not, not this year. It's not going to happen. And we hear this boom, boom, boom <laughs> on the door. Now this is like no knock you've ever heard. This guy is 6'9", 400 pounds. <laughs> and he knocks like it. So... I I knew of course it was him, but they could they mentioned that we could recognize his knock, and I got halfway to the door, and being the smart aleck that I am, I said, "Who is that?" And so he's giggling when I open the door, and he gives me a big hug, and I look up at him and I said, you may be the most beautiful man I have ever seen. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And it was. It was really sweet to see him there. There was a bank of six, seven, eight photographers right behind the camera people, and uh, so you knew that it was him, of course. You obviously couldn't help but recognize him, and then he had all the cameras and things like that, so It had happened. You had finally made it. You finally got in the door, and then now there's a big hoop. You know, I just squeal at the top of my lungs and harden as long as I can, going yippee! (laughs) And so uh, that was it, kind of. You know, it was now it was real. Now it was believable. And then there were moments that just still go back and forth: Is this real? Did it really happen? Am I imagining? Is this? And so, you know, you pretty much know all but I think the moment that, that, happened that we were is when we, on Monday, we were fitted for jackets and rings and a bust. Now, I'd never, i have been fitted for jackets and rings, but never a bust before. So they were measuring from my nose to my corner of my mouth, from my nose to my ear, Between my eye and my chin, and every part of my face. It was just a strange experience. So um, I uh, looked over at my daughter, Alicia, and she was crying like a baby. Just really emotional, and it was kind of real for her, and it sunk in that yes, it really was going to happen that we were in the Hall of Fame when we were getting measured for jackets and stuff, but she just broke down and had herself a good cry. And I kind of went, yeah, we're here. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, man, yeah. (laughs)
1: Hey, Jerry, like I mentioned earlier, 11 of your teammates and your head coach are already enshrined in Canton, but you personally have never visited Canton. Is that correct? Why have you avoided Canton all these years?
4: Why wouldn't I go? Yeah. Well, my little tippy boat was all tippy and emotional, and it didn't want to go in there. It wasn't asked and wasn't invited, and maybe uh, would never go in there. So I went by there five or six, seven times, and I thought about it every time. I said, nope, I'm invited. I'm not going in there. Let am invited. it. And so I was still, you know, a little emotional about not being in and, making decisions like that it's obvious that I was emotional but uh it, by and large I'd come to a you know it wasn't an anger it was a bit of emotion but it wasn't an anger emotion it was just no no I haven't been invited and I'm not going thank you very
2: much so that's all over thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> and uh that's the way it was We're speaking with Hall of Famer Jerry Kramer. That would be Canton Class of 2018 on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at at talkoffamenet. And Jerry, how long did it take you to get through all the congratulatory phone calls and texts?
4: I don't know yet. I am am not through them. (laughs) Ah, That's
2: what I was going to ask you. Are you still working on it?
4: I've had like five or six hundred phone calls and seems like every day I I worked on it today and I worked on it every day since but I get 15, uh, ten fifteen twenty and in, in between phone calls coming in so I never get a complete day but I'll I'll do ten fifteen twenty and then ten new ones will come in. So right now we're at about a hundred and thirty. And uh, we got that we have left to go through, and um, hopefully we'll get that done in the next three or four days.
1: Jerry, any big surprises? Who called you? Uh, yeah,
4: a couple really nice uh, things. Uh, there was uh, Jackie Smith. You remember Jackie yep. Smith? played right? oh, sure. a lot for the yep. Cardinals, and last year at Dallas, mm-hmm. he sure. played sixteen. 16 years, and he was inducted in the hall in uh, 94, I believe. And it writes me a really nice congratulations. Nice to have you along. Well well done. And and then he says, I think everybody in the hall knows that it's a better hall now or knows that you belong, something like that. And (laughs) it was just a really nice uh, comment from a, a pro, a kid that recognized my ability and the kind of game I had. And uh, so it was just warm. And I, I don't know Jackie. I haven't spent any time with him. I don't know that we've ever said hello even. But uh, it was a very nice... And a lot, of, a lot of the guys are calling and kids from my high school High. I have heard from a couple of my sophomore buddies and uh, a couple of the old football players. So just from... All over the country, they took a put up a couple of billboards here in Boise and half a dozen more in little towns around Boise with the the fat boy up there being inducted into the Hall of Fame and smile on his face and uh, uh, the people are saying, "Well done, Jerry," or "Thank you, Jerry," or "Congratulations, Jerry." And the uh, Johnsonville Brat people took out a full page ad in the Milwaukee journal, I think, yesterday, and also one of the press gazette, and it had a full picture of me. I did a commercial film, uh, a while back for Bratz, and they said dependable, uh, committed, and sausage. And they had a full page ad in the Milwaukee Journal. So but a lot of, you know, fun things and nice things, and not, not lasting things. They're not going to be there forever. they just coming by this week or the next week and so enjoy them and smile and giggle and make life just a little better.
2: Well, Jerry Kramer, we're going to join that chorus and say congratulations on an honor that took far too long to happen and thanks for the time today. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. That was former Green Bay Guard and now Hall of Famer Jerry Kramer. Up next is the Two Minute Drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
2: Well, we're just about out of time, so you know what that means. It's the yep, it's time for two-minute drill. Now, Rick and I are going solo today, so we're going to try something different. We're going to try this one in mono, not stereo, mono with only one, not two, responses. Goose, Goose Man, you ready? Yes, sir. Let's get to it. Early favorite for the longest speech you can't in the summer.
1: Early favorite, Ray Lewis. But my money is on T.O. because he believes the Hall of Fame is all about T.O. <laughs>
2: right. What are the chances T.O. thanks Hall of Fame voter Matt Miyoko for getting him in?
1: I think there's a better chance Matt gets criticized for taking so long to get T.O. in.
2: <laughs> Who has the most fun, the Patriots, the Eagles, or Cindy Lauper?
1: Until the parade, I'd have said the Eagles. Now it's a jump ball.
2: Hall of Famer O.J. Simpson was spotted at a Las Vegas Costco. What was he buying? One of those
1: six-foot safes to store his memorabilia. You never know who wants your memorabilia. (laughs)
2: Mike Lombardi once said that the Eagles' Doug Peterson, quote, might be less qualified to coach a team than anyone I've ever seen in my 30-plus years in the NFL. Ouch. What's he saying now?
1: Mike's saying, I was thinking Paul Peterson of the Donna Reed Show, not Doug Peterson of the Eagles. <laughs> I
2: remember, remember Paul Peterson. Who throws the best parade? Macy's, the Rose Bowl, or the Eagles?
1: The Rose Bowl because it's the only parade with a potential Sparty spotting. Oh.
2: What are the chances Jason Kelsey gets an offseason job as President Trump's speechwriter?
1: I think there's a better chance he appears in the next Harry Potter movie with that
2: outfit. (laughs) What should the 49ers do with Reuben Foster?
1: If the allegations are true, it's time to say goodbye.
2: Charles Haley called the Cowboys, quote, a bunch of losers, unquote.
1: Is he right? He has five more Super Bowl rings than anyone on that team, so he can say whatever he wants, and you'd better listen.
2: Who gets Roger Goodell's first valentine?
1: Alberto Riveron for keeping his thumbprints off the Super Bowl.
2: You're yeah, right about that. Why did Josh McDaniels decide to stay in New England?
1: Because he had flashbacks at Denver, and I think the Colts may have had flashbacks of those Denver games.
2: <laughs> what are the chances Rob Gronkowski trades the NFL for an acting career?
1: I'd say there's a better chance Tom Brady retires from the Patriots this offseason than Rob Gronkowski retiring. Stick with your day job,
2: Rob. <laughs> Well, we're going to stick with our schedule, and we've got to go to halftime, but don't go anywhere. There's another hour just around the corner, and we're going to hear from D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and get his take on the best Falcons not in the Hall of Fame. There's all that and more right here on the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron
2: Borges. Welcome back to hour number two of the Talk of Fame Network. It's Valentine's week. As we said, Marty Graw, Westminster Dog Week. we are pictures and catchers. Take your pick. Goose I know you have a dog but what do you got a lap? Yes sir black, black. You ever watch the Westminster Dog Show in New York?
1: No Clark that used to be my mother's favorite show but I've seen maybe 10 minutes of that show in my life My own dog in the side yard is entertaining enough <laughs> to watch
2: Well have you ever seen the movie Best in Show? Did you ever S- see that? Saw it and loved it Hysterical it, it was tremendous and you know it's pretty close to how I always <laughs> perceive the, the, the show because when we lived in New York City my wife once went in the afternoon to, uh, with a friend of hers to Westminster and loved it and she went behind Behind the scenes, met the handlers, got to know some of the dogs, and she ca- came home saying, "You need to go." Of course, I told her uh, I get to see dogs every Sunday when the Browns run, <laughs> uh, which is a way, of course, returning this conversation to football. I guess that's what we talk about. Uh, we have D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution coming up this hour. Um, in week two of our Best of the Rest series with detailing us which Atlanta Falcon, not in the hall, that he prefers. So, Goose, who do you have here? I know you like Ken. You like Frilich. Nobis, who do you have here?
1: You know, I probably got Novus because living in Texas, I know of the legend. You know, there may not have been a better football player ever produced by the state. He was the first overall pick of his NFL yeah. draft. And until those knee injuries, he was every bit the player on Sundays that he was on Saturdays. You know, he was an all-decade selection in the 1960s yet has never been discussed as a Hall of Fame finalist. Boy, that's,
2: that's, uh, that's sad. Um, uh, you're on that senior committee. Can you ever see him coming out, Goose?
1: <sighs> if, if we get an amnesty class, I think uh, anybody that made all decade has a chance. But, okay. boy, if they're going to keep us to one or two a year, it's going to be very tough. Yeah,
2: right. Well, speaking of the Falcons, Goose, you remember this guy? This is... For long. Yep, that's Jerry Glanville, and he's back, though not in the NFL, in the CFL. June Jones signed him as his defensive coordinator with the Hamilton Tiger Cats at the age of 76. Goose, I don't know how good those teams will be, but you know what? should be a lot of fun to cover. You know,
1: I knew June was, he was, when he was here in Dallas as the head coach at SMU. The man knows offense. You know, he, he's going to throw the ball. But uh, Glanville's grits blitz, that may be in for a rude awakening up there.
2: Yeah, well, I just hope he leaves some tickets for Elvis at the door. <laughs> We're not going to leave tickets for anyone here. We're just going to leave, period. But when we return, we'll take a look at the NFL's best golfer and its most unpopular assistant coach, at least in one city. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the
0: Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey,
2: Gooseman, Uh, how about a shout-out to Arizona wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald? Last week, he became the first black amateur to win the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. True story. And only the seventh, seventh pro-athlete. To win the title in that tournament's 81 year history. And that's when he teamed with a friend of his, a guy named Kevin Streelman, to shoot a 41 under, his 41 under total of 246. Goose, was the last time you shot 246 for four days of golf?
1: If I partnered with Jordan Spieth, I could do it.
2: <laughs> I couldn't. Maybe on the miniature golf course. Um, but you know, the last pro athlete to do it, I said he was the uh, seventh pro athlete to win the title. The last guy to do it, Hall of Famer Dan Marino. And that was. Thirty years ago,
1: Clark. I'm sure Tony Romo is jealous. He fancies himself as quite the golfer. You know, you saw him last uh, weekend taking a shot and talking about it on TV as he was taking the shot. You know, I, I bet he thought he'd be the first.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny when I saw that about uh, Larry Fitzgerald. I, I, I thought of something I read last week, <clears throat> and I heard more than uh, one person, or read more than one person. Uh, last weekend, actually two weeks ago because of the Hall of Fame, calling Randy Moss and Terrell Owens among the two or three best wide receivers of all time. Forgetting, of course, that Terrell Owens was a second team all decade, so I guess it wasn't one of the two or three best of his own decade. But anyway, they also forgot about Jerry Rice and Don Hudson and Lance Alworth and Paul Warfield and Raymond Berry. And on. Anyway, it goes on and on. But, uh, Goose, I'll be honest with you. I'd take Larry Fitzgerald, I mean this, over both of them. I mean, he's a big play receiver, who has the production, durability, and I think is the consummate team player, even with a team, and I'm talking about the Cardinals, that struggled throughout most of his career.
1: You know, I, I know Larry Fitzgerald is going to be there every day for yep. practice and for games. Yep. And he's going to catch every pass I throw to him. You know, I love productivity, but I love dependability just as much. And with Larry yep. Fitzgerald, I'd have them both.
2: Me too. And and you know what? When you would go into camp there with the Cardinals... He was always accountable. You know, you'd ask for Larry Fitzgerald. Sure, he'd come in there and he'd tell you everything you wanted to know. I mean, he was just an open book. I loved dealing with him. Uh, Anyway, congratulations to Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, Maybe we can get him on next week's show, Goose. Uh, Maybe not. Who knows? Um, Someone I don't think is going to be here, however, is New England offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. Um, He did an abrupt about-face. And instead of taking the Indianapolis job, as everyone knows, that he said he wanted, turned around and, of course, returned to the New England Patriots. Now, Goose... That caused a lot of people to go, huh? What? But while it's unusual, and while it's extraordinary, and while it's mind-boggling, and and maybe, you know, unprofessional, I don't care what you want to call it. Yeah. Well, it's not unprecedented. It's happened in this business before, and you know that because you're our historian.
1: Yeah. Bill Parcells told the Buccaneers he was coming twice and didn't come either time. (laughs) You know, Bill Belichick pulled a U-turn in the Jets. You know, McDaniels wasn't the first, and I doubt he'll be the last. You know, But it didn't damage the names of Parcells or Belichick. The jury right. remains out for Josh McDaniels,
2: however. Yeah, that's right. And 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 quite honestly, he's an extension of that tree. I mean, you know, Belichick, uh, extension yep. of the Parcells tree, anyway. Uh, I know we did a podcast last week with <coughs> Dave McGuinness and, and, and he said, basically, that your word should be your bond. Because I was talking to him about, well, you know, nothing was signed. He said, well, you know, yeah, your word should be your bond. Except in instances like this, I just think it should tell you until or unless someone signs on the dotted line. And I realize, you know, you go, it shouldn't be this way. It, but to me, it is in this day of um, litigation and uh, lawyers everywhere and, um, you know, what stands and what doesn't. You do not, and I repeat, do not make an announcement before someone signs on the dotted line. And, you know, it's kind of like what Yogi Berra used to say. Not over till it's over. You know, well, it wasn't, and Josh McDaniels proved it.
1: I agree, except... When you start hiring assistant coaches that your head coach in waiting asked you to hire, you have to believe the commitment is there. You know, lives are changed. Families are being uprooted. That's what really makes the Daniels, you you turn troublesome. Coaches left good jobs, some good jobs, and were moving to Indianapolis for Josh McDaniels. You don't do that to your friends. You don't do it to your peers. You know, I felt bad for the Colts, but I felt worse for those three assistant coaches who took McDaniels at his word.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with that. In fact, I think um, makes for an awkward situation too for Frank Reich coming in. There, and you go. Why? I mean, what, what do we do here? I mean, it's just that okay. I agree with you. I mean, you go. Wait a second. You told me we were taking this. You were taking this job. Why didn't you tell me that you had cold feet anyway? Right. Um, you know, the funny thing is, Goose Colts may have wound up with a better option than Frank Reich. I mean, I, I've always said on this program, I, I, I'm not a big McDaniel's guy in terms of hiring him, unless unless he brings number twelve with him. And and let's face it, I mean, Frank Reich did wonders with Wentz and Foles in Philadelphia. And furthermore, he beat that number 12 in Super Bowl 52. You know, I
1: loved what uh, the Colts GM, Chris Ballard, had to say. We want people who want to be here. Josh McDaniels clearly didn't want to be here. Frank Reich did. And the Colts are better off for it. You know, Josh McDaniels wasn't the only good coach in the marketplace. And I think the Colts got a good one in Frank Reich.
2: Yeah, so do I. Um, And as far as Josh McDaniels, who I know, former linebacker and friend of the show, Willie McGinnis, said that McDaniels said there's no agreement that says he succeeds Belichick, Bill Belichick, when he retires. But, Goose, I mean, who are you kidding me? (laughs) If you believe that, then maybe believe the Browns are going to be in Super Bowl 53. Come on. You
1: know, if there was an agreement, I believe McDaniels would already be in Indianapolis and my concern then would be McDaniel's living in Indianapolis, but with an eye on New England to replace Belichick when he retired. You yeah, know, I, yeah. I'd wonder yeah. if McDaniel's was all in, even if he was there. So it's this is this is best for the Colts. It's best for McDaniel's. It's best for Frank Reich to it played out this way.
2: Yeah, right. I know I agree with you. Um, and I mentioned Super Bowl Fifty Three. Well, speaking of that game, Goosh, you ran a poll on our website. That would be talkofame.network.com and you ran it. Last week, with the results this week, asking which team wins Super Bowl 53. And it was a close call between the two teams that were in it this year. So, who actually won that poll?
1: Fly, Eagles fly. Uh, Our poll reflects a belief that the Eagles can do what no NFL team has done for 13 years now. Repeat as a champion. It was close, like you said. Philadelphia received 25% of the vote. Patriots, 24%.
2: Goose, was Jason Kelsey stuff on the ballot box?
1: Let me say this. That is a passionate fan base. Did you see the parade? I think Ron was setting up voting booths along the parade
2: route. Passionate is one way of describing it. I've got some other descriptions, too. Listen, if they won it next year, let's say they win Super Bowl 53, what's that parade going to look like? (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Yeah. Well, who do you have, Goose? Who do you have next year?
1: I like the Rams. Young quarterback, young running back. Wade Phillips unleashed in the pass rush, best special teams in the NFL. And I said this back in in October. I I thought the 2017 Rams reminded me of the 1991 Cowboys. They didn't know they were good. By the end of the year, they realized it. And the next season, those Cowboys were the NFL champions.
2: Goose, you may have just convinced me listening to you. Anyway, I, I had the Steelers, but now I may switch. I, now I have the Steelers. Um, because I don't think New England can go to four and five years. I mean, can they? Well, they got Tom Brady, I guess. but um, And I don't think the Eagles can repeat. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen because, well, because Mike Lombardi told me it's not going to happen. <laughs>
1: no one repeats. You know that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I want to take someone from the NFC. you know, and, and I thought Minnesota, maybe New Orleans, but I couldn't. But and now I've I got to agree with that. Well, like the Rams, um, and and you know the Eagles. While they look like a team that could repeat, but how many times have we said that in the past 20 years, and well, only one team has done it. You mention it; that'd be TB 12, uh, 2004 yeah. after the 2003 season.
1: And then Brady went nine years before winning his next Super Bowl. You know, those Lombardi trophies are tough to come by, even when you have what may appear to be the NFL's best team on paper. I, I wouldn't bet the favorites.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, what do we have this week? in terms of polls? I'm talking about the poll. And, and and please tell our listeners how to vote if they if they don't know already.
1: Well, I'm trying to come up with some creative. So I'm going to ask who's the most attractive name in free agency? Is, is it a pass rusher? Is it DeMarcus Lawrence? Is it a quarterback? Is it Kirk Cousins? You know, who's going to the bank this offseason? And it's on our website com. Uh the, the poll will be on the, on the on the main page and I'll list several options. Vote. Give me something to write about next week.
2: How many options do you have? Six? Eight? How many Um, names? um,
1: Right now I'm six. It could go to eight. Still working on the list.
2: Okay. Well, you know that poll with the uh, teams in Super Bowl 53? I didn't see Atlanta among the top finishers. um, So we're going to have to ask Hall of Fame voter D. Orlando Ledbetter about that. You know what? He's coming up next. He's going to talk about the best Falcons player not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of
0: Fame Network on SB Nation Radio, from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, a
2: week ago, we started our Best of the Rest series, where we named the best players from every team that are not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And today, it's the second stop on our 32-week tour, and that would be Atlanta, where we're with hall of fame voter and former pro football writers president d orlando ledbetter of the atlanta journal constitution and d is a great friend of ours who covers the atlanta falcons and we are delighted to have him back d welcome back
5: hey welcome thanks
1: for having me clark and rick it's a pleasure coming back on the show Uh, d it's our pleasure so who is the most glaring omission from canton in the eyes of the falcons faithful
5: it is Mike Ken who played 19 years for Michigan, uh, did a, uh, a great job for the Falcons and has, uh, gone widely unrecognized for the high level of play that he was over to, he was able to sustain over a long period of time.
2: Did you say Michigan? Goose just died a thousand deaths. He's a Michigan <laughs> State course guy. Of he did. <laughs> hey, D, you know what? It, 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 to me, it's not just Mike Cannon. I know Goose has written about this before on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, but it seems like the Hall of Fame turns its back on everyone who ever blocked for the Falcons. I mean, you've got George Koontz there. I used to cover him in the Colts after the, the Falcons. George Koontz went to eight Pro Bowls in his career. Then you have Chris Senton. Well, I covered him with the Colts too. He went to seven, and Jeff Van Note. I did not cover him. He went to six, and then Bill Bill Frilich, He was an All-Decade selection for the 1980s. Yet, not one of them has ever been discussed as a Hall of Fame finalist. So, I guess my question is: Is blocking in Atlanta the Hall of Fame's kiss of death for offensive linemen?
5: Well, that certainly is an elaborate group, and, and I think you know we have to go back and look at. What may have been happening early on in that process and, um, you know, just from what I hear, I wasn't there. But it looked like some other guys, uh, these guys in this group may have been getting held up because one voter in particular wanted to get Tommy Novus in as the first Falcon uh, that, you know, the group didn't feel was worthy. Uh, apparently, and, and these other guys' uh, time was passing. The clock was ticking, and, uh, you know, it may have hurt them in the overall setting. But, you know, that's too much speculation for, you know, not knowing, and you know, firsthand what was going on in the room. But, you know, you hear things. I talked to uh, Lenny Pascarelli, whom I replaced as the Atlanta rep, and, uh, you know, there were some problems with Atlanta, uh, you know, and, and you know. Uh, getting Claude him in shouldn't have been a, uh, that big of a problem, but it was, and uh, he went in, and uh, you know, then some of the, the other Falcons, uh, you know, part-time Falcons started to follow. But yeah, these linemen are sitting out there, and uh, are all certainly very worthy. Uh, you can't get everybody in, but but you know, they did have very strong
1: careers. It's a thin line between the very great and the very good, and these guys are right there. Yeah, you know, that's my point. They—they—I don't know if they're Hall of Famers or not, but they deserve to be discussed based on the level of play and the level of love honors. And that's been a flaw in the system. We don't cycle enough people through this room.
5: No question about it. And uh, you know, we—I uh, was talking to uh, Ron Borges uh, post meeting. And uh, he wasn't uh, excited with the first-year guys going in and uh, looking at back in our recent history where we've been putting a lot of first-year guys in and not discussing some of these older guys that may be worthy or just as worthy or uh, it's just as difficult to get them all into the room. Uh, you know, we got three of them coming up, maybe four. I don't know when Seymour comes up, but, you know, Champ, Tony Gonzalez, uh and uh, every next year, you put all yeah. three of them in. You only got two spots for some of these older deserving players too. So
1: it's a uh, it's a tough, tough job, tough task. I'm glad you all are talking about it all year round now. Yeah, D. I'm I'm curious. You know, the Falcons are an NFL expansion team, not joining the party until 1966, and it took 13 years. Atlanta to make the playoffs for the first time. Claude Humphrey, I remember, was both a legendary pass rusher and a legendary Falcon, as you mentioned. Yet it took him 28 years to get a bust in Canton, and only then as a senior. D- do you think the expansion tag continues to haunt the Falcons today?
5: Yeah, that expansion tag, uh, Rick, no question about it. But to go along with that, the way the draft was set up, uh, back then, the expansion draft, they had—they didn't win. It took them uh, forever to get into the winning side of things, you know, bundling uh, things from an ownership and a uh, personnel perspective, uh, getting up to speed and on the cutting edge of what, you know, some of the teams were doing back then in the uh, 60s and 70s. Certainly Dallas was out in front with technology and, and so forth uh, with the draft. And, uh, you know, they just made mistake after mistake after mistake and uh, couldn't field a competitive team. And I don't know how much of it was flying out west to play in the AFC west, NFC West when they were, you know, sitting here in the south, you know. Uh, those long flights couldn't have helped them in that early part
1: of the, the franchise's uh, uh, startup. Well, then that told you what the NFL thought of them. They didn't have a place for them, so let's we'll just stick them out in the west. They didn't care about them. He- Yeah, and uh, perhaps the, uh, you know,
5: uh, ownership here at the time should have stood up and said, hey, no, we we don't want to be flying back and forth. They knew what they knew now about, uh, uh, you know, body effects of flying. They wouldn't have uh, signed up for that.
2: Hey, D, I know you said the Falcons made mistake after mistake after mistake. But one mistake they did not make was at middle linebacker Tommy Nobis. Uh, that guy was one heck of a player. He was an all-decade selection in the 1960s, along with Butkus and Ray Nitschke, who are Hall of Famers. He was the first overall pick, as you know, of the 66 NFL Draft. and went to five Pro Bowls in his first six seasons, and then knee injuries collapsed his career. I, I, I've always loved this guy. I Honestly, when I got on the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, selection board, I didn't realize he wasn't in. So I guess my question is, in, in what regard is the candidacy of tommy nobis held by the falcons in their fan base today
5: well you know uh it's one of uh, another mistake uh, by the voters the fans believe he should have been in a long time ago he was right on par with uh you know dick buckets and ray nitsky uh from you know more seasoned franchises they were able to get in uh before him and uh you know, it just sort of was an oversight. He was before the committee, though, I think a record number of times. And I think the fall-off after year six of his career where, uh, you know, uh, he was not as mobile and as uh, aggressive, or well, he was always aggressive, but as, as fast as he was in the first six years may have hurt him also. Uh, also, the fact that the team wasn't winning certainly didn't help him. But other players from teams, uh, Elvin Bethel comes to mind that that weren't winning are in the Hall of Fame, and I don't know. Um, and, and I, you know, it's probably not the place, but does he still have a shot through the seniors committee to get in? I, he uh, certainly is, was worthy uh, of consideration, and the he's probably the most discussed player that's not in the Hall of Fame. And if that's uh, if the committee erred in that, you know, it would be great if it could be uh, rectified.
1: Yeah. Maybe we get the amnesty class. You know what amazed me? His rookie season, didn't he make every tackle? Didn't he have like 4,000 tackles uh. his rookie year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was
5: awesome, uh, Rick. And uh, Coach Quinn talked about him when he passed to the team and these uh, the young guys were just amazed that, you know, he was all American as a, a lineman and a linebacker coming out of Texas. And, uh, you know these guys. You know want to just play ten, twenty plays on a nickel s- a squad, and then ask you know uh, and think they're doing something. And this guy here was going full. You know two way full times at a high level. So you know he used Tim as his all gas no brakes guy. Uh, you know late in the season to help uh, motivate the counter team when they were wearing the, the number sixty decal on it. But yeah, his first year he was the Dynamo. And he probably had to make every tackle, given the uh, um, the way Norbert and the guys, Hecker, uh, the original coach, and then built the team.
1: Yeah. D, let's stay with uh, the middle linebacker position. Uh, Let me throw uh, another name at you. Jesse Tuggle. He was the anti-Tommy Novus. He arrived in the NFL undrafted, went on to play in five Pro Bowls, set a franchise record with more than 12 tackles. You know, the franchise has retired his number 58. In what regard is the candidacy of Jesse Tuggle held by the Falcons and their fan base?
5: Yeah, the Falcons family considers him, you know, he's the most popular Falcon of his era. They call him the Hammer, and uh, the Hammer was um, held in great regard coming out of Eldosta State, making a team played on the Super Bowl team, and, uh, you know, his candidacy is one that hasn't been discussed enough. And, uh, you know, a lot of tackles, Padma, well-respected. His son, Grady Jarrett, on the team now, and, uh, uh, you know, Jesse's still around town, and uh, wherever he goes, there's a big crowd. A lot of people really cling to him, and I don't know if, uh, you know, what happened to Novus has affected their expectations for the Hall of Fame and some of the players, but certainly Jesse
1: would be one that should be in that group of uh, players to be considered. Yeah, and I think the problem you've got is you know with Nobis sitting in the queue, it's it, it's tough for Tuggle to move until something is resolved in Nobis, and and that's a sad thing. Tommy Nobis should have been in this room. and probably should have been enshrined. He, he's one of there are fifty excuse me sixty eight All Decade players not in Canton that are in the senior pool. Yeah, and I think, um,
5: you know, with the anniversaries coming up, maybe we get a uh, situation from the Hall where we can, you know, get some of these guys in and uh, duly recognize them without watering down the game or watering down the Hall. Uh, it's only right that we call we're calling it the Hall of uh, Fame and the greatest players are not in it. Yep.
2: Okay, I know this, because he did not make 4,000 tackles in his first year. Anyway, Dear Orlando Ledbetter, thanks for the time, and good luck with next year's Super Bowl.
5: All right, thank you very much, Clark and Rick. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Dave. You
2: got it. That was Hall of Fame voter Dear Orlando Ledbetter. Up next, is another Hall of Fame voter to talk the senior pool. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin,
2: and Ron Borges. what well, you probably know by now the Pro Football Hall of Fame has announced its 2018 game and it's, surprise, surprise, Baltimore versus Chicago. Now, with Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher going in, of course, that makes sense. And also, of course, Goose, you could have acknowledged Randy Moss and Terrell Owens by putting just about any team in the game. That would have made <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let me say this. I still wouldn't be surprised if the largest fan base in Canton this summer is from Green Bay. That party has been 50 years in the making, and it's likely the final celebration of the Lombardi era.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. We had Jerry Kramer on in the first hour, of course. Uh, He probably agrees with you, too. But um, this game, by the way, between Baltimore and Chicago, it's the first ever in Canton for the Ravens. Bad news, Baltimore fans. If these games mean anything to you which they shouldn't, Chicago's 4-0 and in Hall of Fame games. Hey, uh, Goose, maybe the Bears should move their home games to Canton. What do you think? Huh? Uh, yes? Yeah. yeah. Okay, or moving, well. back to,
1: moving back to Wrigley Field.
2: Yeah, all right. I like that with the, the brick wall. Hey, uh, Speaking of Canton, by the way, we had Hall of Fame senior Jerry Kramer, as I mentioned, uh, on in our first hour. And now we've got another special guest. That would be a Hall of Fame voter and senior committee member, Ira Miller, who was on here last weekend, good friend of ours, uh, long-time coverage of the San Francisco 49ers for the Cron. Uh, Ira's on now to talk about where the seniors go from here. So, Ira, first of all, thanks for being here. And, and again, let's start with Jerry Kramer, as I said, because we had him on in our first hour. You, you've been a voter for a long time. Uh, the, uh, an obvious question here, but why did it take so long for someone who was on the 50th anniversary team To reach Canton.
1: Well, my guess
4: is, and I was not there at the time, or what I have heard, is when he first became eligible, there were there was still a big split on the Hall of Fame committee between writers who had covered the NFL and writers who had covered the American Football League, Uh, and the two sides didn't meet very nicely. They didn't play together very nicely. There was a lot of jealousy and bitterness uh, between the writers as if they were part of the merger agreement or something. I don't know. But I I think that that had it the first time. And and once he gets voted down a few times, he becomes tainted. And he just kind of shunted off to the side. And while we're on the subject of the Hall of Fame, I just want to add one thing. You're talking about that game between Baltimore and Chicago. Yep. You can give me credit for it, because about 25 years ago, the Hall of Fame inducted Bill Walsh and Chuck Noll On the same weekend, the Steelers and 49ers were playing an exhibition game in Barcelona. And I went to them and I said, this is idiotic. And they fixed it after that. And now they pick the game based on
2: who's going into the Hall of Fame. Okay, well, let me make that correction. The, the Pro Football Hall of Fame game between Baltimore and Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, brought to you by... Ira Miller. (laughs) You got it. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Okay, Ira, there are now 12 Packers from the 1960s enshrined in Canton, plus their head coach. Can there ever be too many from one team?
4: Yeah, I think think there can, but I I don't know what what the exact number is. I mean, the the Steelers of the 70s uh, are right up there. I know the 49ers of the 80s, the Cowboys of the 90s don't have those numbers. Right. And and probably won't, um, but I, I think what happens is, as you know, some of these guys. It's amazing how many guys get better after they retire, get greater, get uh, become bigger than real life uh, than when they were playing in many cases. Uh, I just I don't I don't know what the answer to that is, but as you look back on history, you think people are greater, better, did more than they really did. And, and, of course, you know, the flip side is, I know people talk about this all the time, but the idea of the game is to win championships, and I think it's, it's not improper that championship teams are heavily represented, and that's, that's what you're playing for.
1: I noticed two wide receivers in uh, in this class didn't win any championships. I noticed that too.
4: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Funny you should mention that. (laughs) I I think what you've got, and and the reason we had the class we have now, yeah. I talked about how the committee used to be the old guys between the (laughs) AFL and the NFL that didn't like each other. Now you're getting a lot of younger people on the committee, and I I call, yeah, I wouldn't call it the fantasy football Hall of Fame, but that's that's what it becomes in, in. in some, uh, in some degree. I'll never forget a guy who's no longer with us, was on a committee once, and we were debating, and I can't remember uh, even the, the player whose name came up, uh, but he said, Oh, he must have been great. He'd never missed a game. Well, I threw back a name Bill Romanowski at him, a linebacker who played 16 years with the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Raiders. He didn't miss any games, but, you know, they're not. <laughs> Preparing a bust for him and Canton. I just, I just don't know that enough people look at it critically enough.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, maybe, question maybe, for you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I uh, have a question for you. And we, we've asked this over the years to a lot of our guests. You and I are both on a senior committee. If you could give a free pass to Canton for one guy in the senior pool right now, uh, it would have been for me, Jerry Kramer, until this last year, who would you give that pass to? Who would you say you have a bust?
4: Oh, boy, that's a good one. You know, I have to, I have to think about, uh, I haven't really thought about it. But, I mean, I, I'll give you, he's a young senior, but he's a guy that I'm going to be making a push for, and Clark covered him too. Uh, Roger Craig with the 49ers. Uh, you know, when Marshall Falk went in, he's the greatest, he's the receiver, he's the runner, he does all that. I mean, Roger Craig was, was Marshall Falk before Marshall Falk. You know, he was the first thousand-thousand guy, he caught the ball, he ran the ball, he blocked, scored three touchdowns at once in a Super Bowl upset. Uh, and haven't gotten a sniff. Now, there's a lot of people in that, in that category, but he's the first one that comes to my mind because
1: I covered him. You know, all these years, I never realized Roger Craig went to Penn State.
4: Uh no he uh, he didn't he was on a Nebraska team that Penn State beat forty four to six. You know I, I throw that I, one in there.
2: I was going to mention to you earlier. You said I wouldn't call it the fantasy football hall of fame. I would. I think that's the direction we're headed, and and that's why I think Roger Craig is in trouble because people look at him and go well look at his numbers. I mean look at his well yeah he played fullback and he played running back and if you know anything about those teams he was invaluable to them, and the thing I I just don't get is you look at that forty nine er team. And you covered him and I covered him later, but I didn't get him in the eighties when you were covering him. They were a dominant team and who do you have in the Hall of Fame from there? Joe Montana. And of course Jerry Rice later in the eighties. And you got Ronnie Lott. And then what do you have? And and you look at Roger Craig, you go, What did this guy do wrong? I mean he had a thousand yards receiving and running in one season. He was a Pro Bowl as a fullback, a pro bowl as a halfback. What more did he need to do? And yet I think guys will look at that num- those numbers and just go, nah, nah, let's just move on.
4: And if Bill Walsh were around, he would tell you that Roger Craig was, I hate to use the phrase, but it's sort of like the last missing piece of that offense to, nice. to make his offense go. And the first the first year the 49ers won the Super Bowl, uh, hell, I could have been their running back. I think it was Ricky Patton or Al Cooper. I mean, they they, they couldn't run the ball at all. They won the first. Their first Super Bowl on the basis of defense and Joe Montana make plays, but two years later they drafted Roger Craig and that that transformed the whole offense. What
1: about well, and, Bill and, what about Bill Ring?
4: Yeah, Bill Ring was on that first Ben eighty one team too. <laughs> But I think uh, I think Ricky Patton. uh Lenville Elliott. That was
2: another yeah. one. I mean, sure. Oh yeah,
4: that's you right. Know, there's, that's there's right. Nobody, there was nobody running the ball for that team that's going to Canada without buying a ticket. Yeah.
2: But you know, these guys who look at fantasy football numbers, they'll say, "Well, look at his rushing totals." And Craig's response is, "Yeah, I played fullback for part of my career. I wasn't getting the ball every down. I mean, and he's got a good point. I I just think it's he, he's been a casualty, and unfortunately, now he moves into that senior pool." And, and good luck. I mean, I really think good luck. Yeah, he's he in he he that. that
4: senior pool with, with a lot of other people, and I don't know how we're ever going to get the deserving ones out of that pool. There's just so many
2: of them. Well, speaking of other people, you mentioned that senior pool. I mean, we had two others who were in the senior pool now, and they were, they were finalists this year. Roger Craig wasn't. He was a finalist once. That was in 2010. That was a long time ago. But um, we had two others who were finalists this year and, and, and go to the senior pool. That's Everson Walls and Joe Jacoby. Now, um, I guess I'm going to ask you, I know you feel strongly about Roger Craig, but do you feel strongly about either one of these guys? And, and how much do you think, by the way, are, are there candidacies as seniors hurt by the fact that they have been discussed? I mean, Jacoby has discussed the last three years as opposed to some others like, say, you know, an Alan Amici or a Nettie Meador who have not and never were.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start with Jacoby because you know my mantra has always been Can you write the history of the game without this guy? You certainly cannot write the history of the NFL without the Hogs, the the Redskins' offensive line of the 80s. You don't have the Hogs without Joe Jacoby at tackle. Uh, A follows B follows C, or C follows AB, whatever it is. Uh, but the point is, he should be in the Hall of Fame, and these guys get, they get short trip when they, when they don't even get discussed. I've, you know, this is not on the point, but it sort of is, and I've argued this for years, that they need to move the Hall of Fame voting away from the Super Bowl when everybody is so darn busy. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you get in that room at 6.30 Saturday morning, and everybody's tired and cranky, and let's get done, and we've got to be done by 3 o'clock for TV. And they need to move that to another time when people can be discussed more thoroughly, more rationally, and in, in a less frenzied fashion. I just yeah. think it's too important to do it the way they do it.
2: I, tired,
1: think I think we should discuss more. I think we to discuss more. Why? Why hold the fifteen? Go to fifty. Let's get Let's get the right guys. Too many players fall through the cracks. Ira, we've got we got sixty sixty six all decade players in senior pool right now. Fifty eight have never been discussed. How does well, that happen?
4: That's one of the things you can do if you move it away from that compressed Super Bowl weekend and have a separate meeting, bring everybody in the canton a day, two days, three days, whatever, and discuss these guys. I mean, it's either important or it isn't important, and instead, it looks to me like they always try and do it. Well, let's let's do it now because we can do it on the cheap because we've got everybody at the Hall of Fame. Right. We can get done in a hurry. Or we can get two minutes on TV tonight, and blah blah blah. Instead of instead of treating it the way it should be treated. Right, I agree.
2: Hey, uh, Ira. Yeah, well, Ira, I mean, you know, the, I, I was going to ask you about this general amnesty that Goose has pr- proposed. Um, to coincide with the 100th anniversary of the NFL, um, yeah. are, you in favor, A, are you in favor of having it? Because Goose was just talking about all these guys who haven't been discussed. And um, if you are in favor of having it, what what number would you say? 10, 20, 30, whatever number? Well, qualified that, seniors that, yeah, admitted. What would you and,
4: and my, I, I think it should be certainly at least 10. I don't know if 20 is right. 10, 15, 20, 25. Well, uh, well what would concern me although it would wear off after a, a couple of years, is that people would say, well, you're cheapening it. Uh, I don't think that at all. I, I think you're catching up. Uh, but that's the one thing you've got to be careful about, that, that you don't say, well, we're going to open the doors, and everybody says, ah, you're just making it too cheap, too easy to get in. I think what we need to it, it's hard to get in, it should be hard to get in. But these people that have never been discussed, that haven't been voted on, uh, I think it's criminal that we just ignore them, that we let this go year after year after year. And guys, you know, like like Evererson Walls this year, he waits twenty years kind of led the League of in Interceptions three times. He waits twenty years to even get discussed. I just think that's wrong.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks for the time and uh, thanks for coming up to this game. This is a good idea. Baltimore and Chicago. Pro football of fame You're welcome.
4: <laughs> maybe maybe they'll put my you know, maybe look my name. Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium brought to you by I, I like it.
2: That and a $25 million donation will do it, Ira. <laughs>
1: okay. Thanks,
2: Ira. See you, Ira. That was Hall of Fame voter Ira Miller up next. It's a two-minute drill.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
2: Well, I see our producer. That'd be Robert Harris Jr. waving his hand. So, Goose, you know what that means. <laughs> The yes, sir, you got it. This is the two-minute drill, or as we call it today, the two-voter drill. It's just Rick and me. I ask, Rick answers, and let's get started. Where's Kirk Cousins next year?
1: The Denver Broncos. Quarterback maker, John Elway.
2: The NFL were to stage the Olympics, goose man. Where would you put it?
1: Summer Olympics, L.A. Winter Olympics, Minneapolis. But I play the hockey in Dallas where I can go to the games.
2: There you go, smart man. And if it fielded an Olympic hockey team, who'd be the goalie?
1: If you believe in miracles... Nick Foles,
2: <laughs> Johnny Weir, Johnny Unitas, or Porta Johnny?
1: I'll take Johnny U on any list you want to put him on.
2: I could use Porta Johnny, Goose. <laughs> the Giants have the second pick of the draft. Tell me why they shouldn't draft Saquon Barkley?
1: Because elite quarterbacks are harder to find than elite running backs. The two best rookie runners in 2017 both arrived in the third round.
2: <laughs> Which is more stable, Goose, the Dow or Johnny Manziel?
1: The Dow. It has more good days than bad of late.
2: Well, speaking of Johnny Manziel, he said he still wants to play football. Okay, Goose, where?
1: It's Canada or bust for Johnny Football.
2: (laughs) Better news, the Jags removing tarps from their stadium or getting new uniforms and helmets?
1: The removal of the tarps. The next step, hopefully, would be to remove the Jaguars from London and put them back where they belong in Jacksonville.
2: (laughs) Yes, sir. Frank Reich or Josh McDaniels?
1: Frank Reich. He's won in the postseason with both his arm and with his head.
2: Why is Richard Sherman serving as an agent?
1: Because he's a Stanford guy. Even if you aren't the smartest guy in the room, it's good to think that.
2: If Adrian Peterson is in fact finished, Goose, is he yet another in a never ending line of first ballot Hall of Famers?
1: Clark, Lenny Moore, Larry Zonka, John Riggins, and Thurman Thomas all waited until the second ballot. So can Adrian Peterson.
2: I'm making a movie called Three Billboards in Canton, Ohio. What are they going to say?
1: Enshrine more safeties. <laughs>
2: Flying tomato, le grand orange, or the galloping ghost?
1: The flying burrito, (laughs) brother. That's
2: (laughs) I like it. We'd like to thank Jerry Kramer, Michael Herr, Ira Miller, and D. Orlando Ledbetter for joining us, Robert Harris Jr. for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. We'll be here. We hope you will be, too.